I don't know if this lighting's help, but that's all right. Anyhow, can anybody recognize what's that, what's that up there? That's Monopoly, right? You know the game? You're familiar with the game? Yeah, now you guys know? Good. My, my, I asked that question last week when I preached over in Crawford, but my kids had no idea, but now, now they know. And, and so Monopoly is an interesting game. It's an amazing game, sort of. It's one of those games you're excited, kind of like a long trip. Yay, we're going on a trip. And then when you come back, ugh, we're coming from the trip. So it's the same thing with Monopoly. It's like, yay, let's play. Five hours later, oh, please, somebody shoot me now. This is just the worst game ever. And so, and it happens. And so you begin all excited and then you either fall asleep or you're just all crushed because of the game. Uh, and it happens. But you know what I've learned? It turns out that many of us have been playing the game the wrong way. What happens is that we have not really read the rules, you know, and so, I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you land on a property, you have a choice to buy that property. What The way that I have played for many years and people that I ask is that they chose not to buy the property. So then the next person will have to wait to land on it in order to buy the property. However, that is not how the instructions go. It's supposed to be that if you land on the property and you don't want it, immediately the, the banker starts auctioning off the property and people around the board can begin to bid on them. They, they can do that, and even the person who says, no, I don't want to buy it, can also bid, and it will be sold to the highest bidder, and the bid can begin wherever it wants. The longest game recorded, because people were playing it wrong, lasted 70 days, because they did not know the rules, and it says it very clear. Here's the official rules. Whenever you land on an own property, you may buy that property uh, from the bank as its printed price. The banker sells the auction to the highest bidder in the event that they don't do that. And here's a copy and paste, which you probably can't read that too well, from the actual instructions. That's a picture of the instructions. And he said that all along. Yet, this game, 275 of them have been sold since 1935. 275 million, okay? Since then, it has been translated uh, into 43 different languages in 111 countries this is the game and yet it's something that you know you learn from word of mouth nobody ever bothers to read the rules you know something like like tying your shoes or, or, or riding a bike uh, your mom taught it to you and and she taught you the wrong way and, and she probably learned her for father the wrong way and you'll teach it to your children the wrong way because you never bother to read the instructions and then you're wondering why it's such a bad game when you follow the rules you actually finish quite quickly Quite, quite quickly. And so I share this because today we're going to talk about consecration. At consecration, you developing a close relationship with the Lord. And what I don't want is that your relationship with Christ be, be based on the broken rules that your parents passed down onto you. And how the church has always done it. Because apparently, if it is really old, it must be the correct way of doing it. And so because of that, I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding how consecration functions. That being said, let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we, we dare not speak at this moment without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit. This topic is very short, it's very sweet, it is very basic, but yet many of us don't really grasp it. We don't really have an idea of what it really means to be consecrated with you, Father God. So I ask, Lord, that you anoint my lips and prepare the hearts and the minds of my brothers and sisters here as we look at your scriptures this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture reading for today, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
This is a text, you've probably heard it before, but it is not the full picture. If you want to learn about consecration, you got to read a little bit before, a little bit after. Whenever you study the scriptures, always read a couple of verses before, a couple of verses after to get the full picture. You just do the one verse here and there, that could get you in so much trouble. That will mess you all up. So you want to read before and after. And even if you read before and after and you still don't get it, compare that with the rest of the scriptures to see exactly where that particular topic may be. But let us go right ahead. This is Jeremiah 29, 13. Let's, let's begin on verse 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Not sure if you've heard that before. Pastors love to quote that whenever something is going wrong. It's okay. It's going to be all right. I know, for I know the thoughts that I, that I have towards you. And, and that sounds pretty and all, but it's more to it than that. If you want to understand consecration, you got to keep on reading. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. So yes, I know things are wrong. I know things are going bad. And I know that God has plans for you, but there are some things that need to take place. It's not just, it's okay, God has a plan. For I know the thoughts that he has towards you. And it's to prosper in peace and joy. It, it, keep reading. Then you will call upon me. When was the last time you called your heavenly daddy? And just said, Papa, I, I just, I need you. And this is what I need of you. You will go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me, just a little bit, just part time, just once a week, just five minutes at night before you pass out before your pillow. What does it say there, church? With all your heart. And here's the promise of God. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Come on, church. But why would we even bother seeking him? Why would we go after him and look for him? Well, because this is our caring condition. Ephesians 2.1 And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's our condition. Without God is nothing but disaster, messes, and chaos. Many of us are wondering why is it that we're going about our lives, we're trying our best, and yet we are struggling Christians, and we're having a difficult time. Well, at the end of the day, it's because without him, you are dead. And I'm not doing this to, to scare the, the bejesus out of you or anything like that. I don't know if I could say bejesus from here. I, I could say heck or the other word with the double hockey sticks in the Bible, but there are children present, so I'll just leave that out. The point is, is, is that that's our condition. And so if you are sick, when you go to the doctor, I know some of you are stubborn and you will, re you will refuse to go to the doctor. I had a guy, you know, Spanish people are just the worst people ever because we have this, this machismo thing where, where we're men and, you know, we like to like, like spit on stuff and, and urinate on stuff and, you know, that, that, that's, we're guys. That, that, that's, that's how we do things. And, you know, this guy had like, Blood coming out of the nose and the ears. And like, dude, you should go get checked out by the doctor. Nah, I'll be alright. Like, come on, man. You know, and so if you're sick, you need to go get checked out. And your doctor is Jesus. That's why it's crucial that you will search for him. That's our condition, and it is not new. Isaiah 1, 4 through 6. A last sinful na nation of people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have turned away backward. In Spanish, there's a saying, don't go backwards, not even to get a running start. I mean, you just don't do it. Ni, ni para coger impulso. I mean, that, that, that's, how it, that's how it goes. 
Anyhow, let's keep reading. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. Did it leave anything out? I mean, from head to toes, from the bottom of your feet, this is the human condition without God in our lives. 2 Timothy 2.26 And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so if you're not with God, you're against God. In Revelation, the final question is, whom do you worship? And if you're not worshiping, worshiping God, the ruler, the creator of the heavens and the earth, then you are on the other side of things. And again, I'm not doing this to scare you. I'm doing this to let you know, hey, this is our condition. And it is not by your own fault. You are being held captive by the devil himself. So once you escape and run away, once you turn, turn, turn from your evil ways, as it says in the scriptures. Second Timothy 3.1. This is Paul speaking to, to, to Timothy. And he's letting them know some things that are going to take place. But know this, that in the last days. When is that happening? In the last days, perilous times will come. And he's describing something. When you read this right from the Bible. You're saying, wow, that's just like reading right out of a newspaper. Look what it says. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Parents, stop looking at your kids. It's okay. They know it. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrongs, hofty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. Haven't you seen that with those people who don't believe in God and say, well, I'm atheist, I'm this and that, but you know, and, and they, they do that. The Bible predicted this. Have him a form of godliness, but denying his power. And from such people, turn away. Now, many of us make the mistake to think that this solely means that you must stay away from such people. We're supposed to mingle with them. We're supposed to bring, you know, Jesus talked about us being like salt. We're supposed to bring the flavor and rub shoulders with them and elbows with them and mingle with them and share, them a, share with them a better way. Let them know, listen. I know everything seems dark. I know you're seeking joy in many things, but you still feel a void inside. Well, I have this guy named Jesus. You got to get to know him. There is a way. You see, we think, oh, we just need to, you know, close our doors and, and, and lock up your wives and lock up your kids and, you know, stay away from all of that, you know, uh, or something like that. You've seen people in the news make a case for, but it's not how it works. It's not how it works. It is more or less talking of a condition of you. If you are such person, you need to turn away from that. We need to be careful with those people. We must infect them rather than them infect us. But you can't do that unless you are consecrated with the Savior. Look in the same chapter. I'm skipping to verse 10. I don't know if you see that there. From verse 5 to verse 10. But now it's giving you a picture of how you ought to be. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, 11, persecutions and afflictions will happen to me at Antioch, at Iconian, at Lystra, what persecutions I endure. And out of all of them, the Lord deliver me. Amen. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Out of all of them, the Lord deliver me. 
This is from Steps to Christ, and the page is at the end because I forgot, 40-something, somewhere between chapter 1 and 13. says, uh, God desires to heal us, to set us free, but since this requires an entire transformation, a renewing of our whole nature, we must yield ourselves wholly to him. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God requires a struggle, but the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. Steps to Christ, page 43. So why is it a struggle? Why is it that we must, the soul must submit to God? Well, look at Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together. I love how my God, my creator, also my redeemer, a most powerful individual, is asking me to partake in this. And he says, come on, Joey, let, let's talk. We need to reason together. He sends me an invitation. He's saying, look, we, we need to have a conversation because there are things in your life that you need to get rid of. There are things in your life that you must cut off. There are things in your life that is keeping you from me. There are things in your life that is keeping us from having this relationship. So we need to talk about this. And you'll realize that I'm not asking you to get rid of anything that is good for you. By all means, what's good for you, keep on doing it. But those things that are bad, those things that are keeping you from me, we need to talk about this, Joey, because th this needs to just come off. We need to get rid of this. So come on now. Let us reason together. You, you know very well that you're playing with fire right there. You're flirting with this stuff over here that you should not just say, well, I'm just going to look at it. Maybe I'm just going to walk by it. I mean, you can't do that. It, it is as silly as, you know, if you're a recovering alcoholic that you want to show up at the bar, you grab the drink, you shake the drink, you smell the drink, but you're saying, yeah, I'm just not going to drink it. Why even bother with that to begin with? Don't play with it. Don't flirt with it. Just stay away from such things you ought to. So come on, Joey. Let's talk about this a little bit. Come on now. Let us reason together. In giving ourselves to God, we must necessarily give up all that separate us from Him. Not a little bit, but all. Hence the Savior said, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whatever, and that's in Luke 14, 33. Whatever shall draw away the heart from God must be given up. Mammon is the idol of many, the love of money. For some of us, that's a struggle. The desire of wealth is the golden chains that binds them to Satan. Reputation and worldly honor are worshipped by another class. For some of us, that's the whole thing, the, the attitude, the power, the whatever. The life of selfish ease and freedom from responsibility is the idol of others. You know, how about those of us who like to procrastinate a little bit, who are somewhat lackadacious? I mean, you see it there. That's also something that ensnares you. But these must be broken. We cannot be half the Lord's and half the world's. We are not God's children unless we are such entirely. Steps to Christ, page 44. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see this photo or not. Can you recognize anybody in there? Yeah? No? I know. I'm sorry. It's bad. We'll, we'll get the 3D televisions going in some time. We'll see. How about now? It's a little bit closer, Maybe. That was about maybe 100 pounds ago. Um, that was for the MDA summer camp, Jerry Lewis uh, summer camp. They do it every summer over in Pennsylvania. Uh, I had a friend. Uh, I still, it's still my friend, but at, when I was younger, uh, on a wheelchair, and I love rollerblading. I mean, I love rollerblading. I've been getting into cycling lately, going with a couple of church members and stuff, but um, 
But rollerblading is fun. So I would go and just ride next to him. He'll be in the wheelchair. And uh, sometimes I would just hold on to the back of the wheelchair because when I got tired, and he'll give me a ride. And we'll just be cruising at, you know, 10 or so miles an hour down the road until the batteries die. And then I had to push him back. But anyways, the point is that it was good, good workout. Um, but he asked me, he said, hey, Joey, you should come volunteer. You know, your lifeguard, CPR, first aid, all of that stuff. We could use you at the camp. We could use staff to work with our kids. So here's the camp. We're there for a couple of weeks. We have different sections. You know, our team was the Green Skulls. I don't know if you could read that up there or not right there, the Green Skulls. Uh, and, and so uh, we have the, the blue team, the red team, the yellow team, and the green team. They were separated by ages, by region. And so there was a lot of competition and fights that formed in this summer camp. And, and so what happens is that it will be either eggs or water. Either way, if you are the enemy, you will get egged or you will get rained on. Super soakers. I don't know if you can see this guy right here has a big one right there. You know, I mean, that thing was huge. But anyhow, uh, we would just go play. So the problem is that my my kid, he had a, a little computer in his wheelchair that would allow him to speak for him. And, and by the way, I had a lot of fun, but this whole of wiping stuff and cleaning and bathing you nurses that are here may the lord bless you and keep you that is a job that i could only take a week at a time once every five years or something because that's just mercy anyhow I'm, I'm digressing again um the point is is that because he had that computer that spoke for him i, I we couldn't afford to get egged or wet because you know that that's what it was so when the kids would go to the pool they would do it by different times I snuck in there, and I may or may not have borrowed uh, diff the hats that identify the different groups, you know, the red ones and the yellow ones and the blue ones. And, of course, I already owned the green ones. And as we were walking by in the wheelchair, we would go to the different regions, and I would swap hats as we entered the other one to make sure that we were free from being wet or egged because the campsites were here. You kind of had to go through them to get to the gymnasium and other places. And so that worked out well for a while. We pretended to be part of every team until suddenly all of them caught on to what we were doing. And so all of the teams, including the Green Skulls, because I was apparently a traitor, decided to just go at it with guns and eggs, you know, uh, with, uh, for the child and myself. And it really backfired big time. Don't even get me started on what, how much I had to work to replace that computer. The point is, it is that... It is just completely backfire. Why? Because we did not choose a side. Instead of the green skull standing up for me and defending me, etc., they did not. They felt betrayed because I was pretending. And it happens like that when it comes in the matters of God. You can't pretend to be half the Lord's and, and half the world's. You can't do that. I mean, it's almost biblical, isn't it? You, you see somewhere there in Revelation 316, it says, so then because you are lukewarm, because you are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is something that the Lord, it, he is speaking as a message to the churches, and he's letting them know, I need you to choose. And when it comes to consecrating yourself to the Lord, you are either committed or you're not. I mean, plain and simple. I used to teach high diving, again, about 80 pounds ago now. And when I used to teach diving from, from the different, you know, the different diving boards and you go to different heights, you, you gotta, you gotta go. You can't just change your mind. There are many people that kept insisting in changing their mind halfway through the air. No. And when they did that, they're banging all the way down. And now we have to do some kind of rescue in the water. You can't do that. You, you, you're wishy-washy or whatever that expression is. It just gets you in a hot mess. You can't do that. 
You must choose, and that's how consecration works. Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him, meaning the devil, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. You are your biggest obstacle from being consecrated and in a relationship with the Lord. Notice what it says in the scriptures as they describe the children of God who overcame the devil and who attained salvation. They did not love their lives to the death. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to do a devotional for um, a constituency meeting, uh, a meeting that we were having. You know, every so often we have elections where we select like our conference president and, and, and vice presidents and whatever else, ministerial leaders, executive secretaries. You know, th- those people in the conference that, that are like far, far away from this place because we, we live in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, for them, we, we have like that. It, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I like it. Minus all of the bugs and hot weather and rain and, uh, Power, anyhow, I'm digressing again. The point is, is that, um, that, that we were doing that and they asked me to do a devotional. When I was preparing the devotion, I was reminded of a story that I share there. Last week in the middle of the sermon, when I was preaching this in Crawfordville, I shared that with them and I think that it's feasible to share this with you here. You know, um, years ago, I used to work for a, a Jewish community center, and I worked my way up from a lifeguard to quarter director to personal trainer and all kinds of other things. And so anyhow, there was this guy there. When I would do personal training, they, they, they would pay us, you know, about $40 an hour is what it turned out to be, which is good money, especially for back then. I'm going late 90s here. But but sometimes when your clients don't show up, then, then you don't get paid. You only show up, you get, they get paid. But uh, I get paid if they show up. The point is, is that there was this guy in the gym that I will never, ever forget. And whenever he comes to mind, I love to share that story because he's sitting there in the gym. And, you know, he, he goes in there. He goes right ahead and just um, shows up with the gear, water bottle, towels, everything else, gloves. He loads up the, the bench press and he puts all of these weights on there. And he's just, you know, walking back and forth before he sits down. Ugh. And he's just stretching and grunting. Ugh. You know, I work at Planet Fitness. I mean, I work out at Planet Fitness and I like the signs there. Which says no grunting, no slamming of weights. It's just a very quiet, chill place. But but this place was not that. You know, you just hear, ah, and he's doing this. And he will go sit down and he'll sit on the bench. And he'll, uh, he'll lay back, he'll touch the bars a little bit, and then you're thinking he's going to do it, but then he gets back up, uh, and he walks around some more, and he does this, and he will average about 45 minutes or so doing this thing, and then he will put the weights away and go home. And he will be there almost every single day, at least every day that I work there. And we will crack up because, you know, we're looking at this guy. He's doing all of these things. He comes out there. He drives out there. He does all of that. He gets ready. He shows up. And he never once lifts the weights. But yet he puts up a beautiful show. And I worked there for three years. I went to the YMCA and I worked there for a couple of years. And they offered me more money at the JCC. So I went back. And seven years later, he was still there. And we, it was just amazing to watch I mean, for me, you know, working out, the hardest thing is leaving my house. Once I'm at the gym, you know, let, let's go at it. You know, pull me out of here. I, I, I'm good with that. The hard, but he would show up. He dressed apart. He got all of the gear. He even loaded the weights. I hate unloading them once I'm done. Like, man, I'm too sore. Let somebody else clean up after me. You know, like, like he did everything. 
except actually lift weights. And so I, I hear you giggling and you're saying, wow, that is, that is something. Well, you know what? I got to experience that. I got to see that. But you know, I bring it home like this. Many of you, good old Seventh-day Adventists, you're showing up to church. You've been here for many years, week after week. You dress the part. You play the part. I mean, you are all decked out for Sabbath. And you show up. But yet, you still have yet consecrated and committed yourself to the Lord. You still have yet to develop a relationship with Him and be fully committed with all your heart to Him. I mean, you are already here. You're already showing up. Why not develop a relationship with Him? I mean, you come out here and you just warm up the bench. And then that said, I have to tell you, you know, if you, if you love the Lord and you're truly committed to Him, then you will tend His sheep. Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible says? I mean, and don't get me wrong, my, my God is willing to work with you. And this is not the first or the last time that you heard me say this. I don't know if you remember that scenario with, with Peter when he's sitting there just before Jesus is getting ready to ascend. They're having some fish and all of that stuff and they're talking. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, absolutely. You know, tend my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you love me second time? Yeah, you know, sure. Tend my sheep. Then the third time, again, he kept repeating that for him. One of the cool things about that, which I love, is that he said to, to Simon Peter, hey, do you agape me? He says, yes, I phileos you. Here's the unconditional love. Here's that brotherly love. And, 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 and Jesus took that. Then he says to him a second time, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, I phileos you. And then the third time, Jesus actually says, hey, Peter, do you phileos me? And that's not the right uh, casing for the word. But, you know, he brought it down to do you phileos me right there the third time, brought it down to his level. And then Peter said, look, Lord. You know all things. You know everything. You know that I do love you. But my God was willing to meet him where he was at. He was willing to, to, to go down just a little bit in that requirement of love. And he posed a question. And that's okay. He'll work with you. And this church has done amazing because of him and not because of us. But could you imagine how great the work would be in this community? If we were to live our lives lined up and in accordance to the will of the Creator, could you imagine how it would be if when He says, do you love me, then tend my sheep, and I don't have to sit here, you know, asking, hey, I need more teachers, I need people in AV, I need whatever, because I actually have to tell you, you know what, can you just play once a quarter, because we have too many. I mean, could you imagine how wonderful that would be? Isn't it time that we stop just dressing up, bringing the towels, grunting and making all of those noises, you know, and yet not even lift that bar once? Isn't it time? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The biggest key to consecration is to just seek out the Lord, and he promises you will find him. As you get to know him, let him work in your life. Don't just role play. Don't just pretend. It's time that we get serious in our relationship with the Lord, with our all. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God. Father God, this is something that, you know, it, it, it hurts because we, we may need to just surrender it all to you. 
and, and we, we like to hold on to ourselves quite a bit. We, we love ourselves. You made us way too pretty. You know, some of us more than others, but, but still, we, we, it's how it works. And that's what happened with the devil himself. He, he got all caught up with his beauty and he said, I will ascend up of the most high. I will be the one to sit on the throne. And I get that, Lord. But it is time for us to stop. The time is near. You're coming very soon. We know that we're living in perilous time. We know this is the time of the end. It is time for us to really and truly have a complete relationship with you. Not just half the world's and half yours, Lord. We can't do this of ourselves because no one comes to you unless the Father draws us to you. So please come into our lives and do not give us any moment of peace until we fully seek you out and consecrate our lives with you. May you bless us and keep us, Father God. It is time that we carry out the task that you've set before us and that we run the race that you've prepared for us. Bless us and keep us. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.